So let's talk about the history of Top 40 Radio a bit. Tell, take us to the, the diner where it all started. Ah, it started with not a radio, but a jukebox. It started with radio guys sitting in a diner, watching a waitress at the end of her shift put her own money in the jukebox to play the same songs that the customers have been paying for all day long. And the radio guys are looking at this woman somewhat condescendingly. There's a, there's a certain element of sexism to it, but no, but nonetheless, commercially, strategically, looking at this woman saying, you know, you can't overplay these songs. People really do want to hear a small number of songs again and again and again. And the lesson of Top 40 has been that when a song is in people's heads, they want to hear it. They want to hear it over and over and over for as long as it takes for that song to become an indelible part of their lives. Yeah, so you talk a lot about in the book about kind of like the golden age of Top 40 in the 70s and 80s, but I guess it's still alive today then. Yeah, there's several golden ages of Top 40, if you want to put it that way. The first one was really the era of the Beatles and the British invasion in the mid-1960s. That was kind of the high watermark for that AM radio Top 40. In the 70s and 80s, the success of on FM radio of these different kinds of formats was really, really important because what it was doing was it was letting the world know that different groups of people who might have been marginal to commercial culture before had to be taken very seriously as publics. It is amazing how Top 40 has been a conduit. Americanization becomes British invasion becomes globalization. Coded sexual identities become more outright expressly queer identities. Um, take someone like Sam Smith this year. He's still working in the Elton John vein, um, like George Michael in between, but now he can be an out gay man and there's no issues about that. And yet he's still a top 40 figure. He's not presenting his sexuality in an aggressive fashion. It's what I like to call airbrushed identity, um, this sense. Think about the ethnicity of figures like a Bruno Mars or a Rihanna. The complicated, where are they from, who are they exactly, qualities work so well on Top 40 because we don't actually need for a Top 40 song to be very specific. In the case of Elton John, the great example of that is his hit song, Daniel, Daniel which Toppin wrote about a Vietnam War veteran and was supposed to have an explanatory final verse. Elton cut the verse out. We, to this day, have no idea what it is because he threw it away and just said, you know, the song's more mystical if you have no idea what it's <laughs> exactly saying. Top 40 is, is, is hinting all the time, and it's almost never explicitly telling. Let's talk about radio in general. It seems every few years for at least the last 60 years, someone is declaring the death of radio. It, it died in the 1950s when television came about. It died in the 1980s when MTV killed the radio star. It died when satellite radio fractured it. It died when the internet came around and introduced Napster and, and Pandora and Spotify. But here we are, and you and I are talking on an FM radio station. So is radio ever going to die? I think that it very well may be the case that the specific idea of a set of signals being transmitted through the air to a geographically limited range of people, that may go away. What I don't think will go away is the two things that radio is about. One, the intimacy of, of listening through radio 
and the way it carves out particular people and makes them feel at the center of things. Those two things, if they go away, I'm going to be very disappointed. For WFIU Arts, I'm Mark Chilla.